you would please stand for a reading of God's word. I'll be reading Psalm 2. You can find Psalm 2 on page 448 of the Blue Pew Bible. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling, kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. In film and in literature, it's called a plot twist. It's when some event happens in a storyline that completely changes our perspective of everything that has led up until that moment. The events of Holy Week, the arrest, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ are a turning point not just a turning point in a story, not just a turning point in some work of fiction or literature, but this is the turning point of all of human history. And for us, not only does it change our futures, but as we look back to our past, it changes how we see what was there all along. The great theologian B.B. Warfield said that the Old Testament may be likened to a chamber richly furnished but dimly lit. That when the light of Christ illuminates the Old Testament, it causes us to see it with new eyes. And we see something, perhaps for the first time, something that was always there, but we could not see it fully without the light of Christ. On the road to Emmaus, just after his death and resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples. They were confused, they were sorrowful, they, they could not fully see, not only Jesus, but they couldn't fully see what they had just witnessed. And so Jesus opened their eyes. He opened their eyes not only to see him as the resurrected Christ, but Luke tells us that he opened their eyes to see the scriptures. This is what Luke says. 
says that Jesus said to his disciples, these are my words that I spoke to you, that while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day he should rise again. What Jesus revealed to his disciples and this week what Jesus is revealing to us is that everything, everything in this book is about him. And there on the road to Emmaus, Jesus had a little Bible study with his disciples. And he opened up the Old Testament, the law of Moses, the prophets, and yes, the Psalms. And he said, this is about me. Every word. And so this week, as we look at the Psalms, we need to be reoriented. We need to see them with new eyes. We need to see them for what they have always been, but perhaps you've never seen them through the light of Jesus Christ. And so we begin with Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is a royal psalm. More than any other psalm, it is most referred to and most quoted in the New Testament. It is an orienting psalm, and for us, what I want you to see is it's a reorienting psalm, because the truth is, as our lives collide with Holy Week, we need some reorienting. We need a new vision of the future. We need new hope, but we also need a new vision of our past and what God has done for us through the death and resurrection of his son. And so I want us just to see a few things today about Psalm 2. And in these few things, these new things, that as we will see Psalm 2 point to Jesus, we will be reoriented for the rest of this week to see him for who he truly is. The first thing I want us to see is that Jesus is the Christ. The psalmist begins in verse 1 asking a question. The psalmist asks, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? Not only is this a question, this is the question. This is the question behind every question. Why do the nations rage? Why is there such chaos in our world? Why is there such broken, evil things that surround us? Why is there such evil within us? If there is a God and if he is good, then why is everything so broken? Why do the nations plot? Why do they rage? The psalmist answers this question in verse 2. The kings of the earth set themselves. The rulers take counsel together. In other words, every evil, every sin, Every bit of chaos that we see in this fallen world is because there are kings and kingdoms conspiring together to work against the kingdom of God. Princes and principalities of darkness 
that are at work. And the truth is, all of us, if we stop long enough, away from our distractions, this is what we are confronted with every single day. That there is evil, that evil is real, that we see this evil around us, and yes, if we're honest, we see this evil within us. Lowercase k kings, lowercase k kingdoms, conspiring together to work for one thing. The psalmist tells us they are working against the Lord and against his anointed. In Hebrew, the word anointed is the word Messiah. These princes and principalities of darkness, these earthly kings and worldly kingdoms are working against the Messiah. In the New Testament, the word we use is Christ, the promised one, the anointed one, the Savior who would bring God's kingdom to the world. And you and I are living in the midst of a cosmic battle. Worldly kings conspiring against the kingdom of God. The battleground is not just out there, but my friends, we all must recognize that the battleground is right here in every heart. It's in your heart, it's in my heart. And so this week, as we see the cross of Christ, we must recognize that there is still a battle. It's raging. Worldly kings and worldly kingdoms all seeking to get in the way of his kingdom. Psalm 2 reminds us of the hope we have that God's kingdom cannot be thwarted. The second thing I want us to see is that Jesus, not only is he the Christ, is he the Messiah, but he is the king. Look at verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. What is God's response to all of these worldly, earthly kings and kingdoms trying to get in the way of his Christ, of his Messiah? He laughs. There is nothing that can get in the way of God establishing his kingdom. My friends, this is good news for us today. The psalmist continues. He says, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. God has been, is now, and will establish his kingdom. And his kingdom will have no end. If you were with us just a few weeks ago, we looked at on a Sunday morning, God's covenant promise to David. 2 Samuel chapter 7. This is what God told David. When your days are fulfilled, when you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. God promised a Messiah, a savior king who would come and establish his kingdom. What does that kingdom look like? 
we know the end of the story. The book of Revelation gives us a vision of that kingdom where there is no more crying, no more pain, no more death, no more sin, where the broken things have been made right again, where the unjust things have been justified, where all things are being made new. And not only does Revelation give us a vision of this kingdom, but it gives us a vision of the king. Revelation 5, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. So the last thing, as I end, Jesus is the son of God. Verse 7, the psalmist says this, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. These words were echoed when Jesus was baptized. Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. This is the scandal of the gospel. It's the reason why Jesus went to the cross. He's not just king. He's not just the Christ. He is the son of God. And so the question for us today and for this week is how will you respond? How will you respond to Jesus, the Christ, the King, the Son of God? Psalm 2 gives us instruction of how we might respond today. Verse 12, kiss the Son. Kiss the Son. To kiss a king is to bow at his feet, to pay him homage. We get a picture of this when Mary Magdalene came to Jesus' feet and kissed him and anointed him with perfume. But we also get a vision of Judas betraying Jesus with a kiss. How will you kiss the son this week? Will you kiss him with betrayal? Or will you kiss him by bowing down at his feet? And will you see him as the Christ, as the King, as the very Son of God who come to take away your sins? I want you to spend a few moments now in silence, prayerfully asking that question before the Lord. How will you see Jesus? Jesus.